Good morning, everyone. As you're watching that video clip, I wonder if you were remembering that person in your life whom God used to introduce you to Jesus Christ or to help make your life better. And maybe another question would be, how has God used you? And I can tell you this morning, God wants to use his people to make a difference in this world. God uses us. And I'm going to tell you, it's supernatural. You'll see it in just a moment. The church has always been the leader in global charity. If you look at the history of the church, I don't know if we have any history buffs here today, but if you are at all interested in history, go and take a look and see how from day one, the church led the way in caring for the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan. This is who we are. It's what we do. And this morning, I, I want to share with you the most important thing that God wants to do with you, in you, and through you. So for centuries now, the church has been helping the poor. We've been planting schools. We've been increasing literacy. We have, um, we have helped people learn to read the Bible for themselves. They didn't have to depend on anybody else to read it or interpret it for them. We have led the way in planting hospitals and clinics. We have really led the way in changing this world. And it's only been within the last 100 years, actually less than 100 years, that secular organizations have watched what we've done and have said, you know what, we want to imitate what the church has been doing around the world. And uh, can I just say this, that since two, uh, 1970, 1970 to 2005, the report that illiteracy has been halved. In other words, we have seen a dramatic change in people's ability to read and write and to be able to interact so that they can do business, so that they can advance uh, economically and in every other way. Now, the church has, has inspired, by its example, all kinds of organizations to rise up. The one that comes to mind is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD. And they report that official development assistance grew in 2013 by 6.1%. They gave over $335 billion to third world countries, to, to people in need. The 10 top, there's, there's a top 10 list, if you can believe it, of countries who have received money. And I'm just going to mention a few of them. That, that you know, Afghanistan has received $6.7 billion. Tanzania, the country that I was in this summer in August, uh, they received $2.8 billion. Kenya has received $2.6 billion. And Canada uh, gave 4.9 of that $135 billion. Well, that represents a huge amount of money. When you compare Canada to America, America's got 10 times the population of Canada, uh, it turns out that Canada actually gives more per capita than USA. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay, Canada. Go Jets. I don't know. Got, got anything there? Uh, Canada, Canada gave $163 per person per year, and America only gave $105 per person. Boo. No, no don't do that. But actually, if you think about it, $163 per person only for those in need, we recognize that we've got a big problem on our hands. 
we, we've got people who don't really understand how important giving is. Now, with all this $135 billion and billions and billions of dollars being pumped into these third world countries, you would think that it would make a difference, that it would change the world. You would think that with the increase in education and jobs and clean water and medical facilities and medicines and literacy, you would think that the world would be a better place. Two professors, Professor Mark Harrison and Nicholas Wolf, they revealed that the frequency of wars increased by 17% per year in the period of the First and Second World Wars and by 31% during the Cold War. That's the Cold War, if you don't remember or don't know what that is. That was when America and Russia were ready to drop bombs on each other. And then in the 1990s, the frequency of wars between states rose by 36% per year. Now, this doesn't make sense because all the social scientists told us that if we would increase people's education, if we would give people jobs, if we would provide more food, more money, more medicine, then people would suddenly become better people, magically. Sir Thomas More wrote a book called Utopia, and he describes a perfect world where everybody loves each other, where everybody carries out the rule of law, everybody respects each other's property, nobody fights, everybody loves each other. And he imagined that somehow this could maybe happen if people would, uh, would abide by the law. This place, Utopia, in case you don't know what Utopia means or where it comes from, he, he actually created the term, created the word. Utopia means nowhere. <laughs> and you can understand that there's nowhere on the face of this earth where there's that kind of peace, where people love each other and respect each other the way they do. Now, here's what these professors point out. They say, although increased prosperity and democracy should have lessened the incentive for rulers to go to war, these same factors have made war cheaper. Interesting. You would think that with the increase of, of prosperity and the increase of democracy and education, etc., etc., that people would not be going to war. They discovered that because of the brand new prosperity, it is also easier now to acquire destructive power because they're able to tax more easily and borrow more money than ever before. So the question is this, folks. What is the great need of the world? Because I can tell you there's a secular world out there that would say, we don't need the church. We don't need the message of the church. What we need is just more education, more instruction, more prosperity, more jobs, and suddenly everything will correct itself. Has anybody listened to Donald Trump? Now, I know some of you here love him, and some of you despise him and think he's a, a, a buffoon. He believes that we can make America great again by giving people more jobs and by keeping Ford factories and the Oreo factories here in America. But I'm going to tell you, folks, what's going to make America great again or it's going to make Canada great again is not found in economics. So what can make the world a better place? In fact, maybe we should ask a more specific question. How can I make the world a better place? Can I make a difference? Can you make a difference? 
Well, I would say that according to New Testament teaching and the example of the early church, the answer to that question is indeed yes. You can make a difference. I want to share with you a story. It's a true story. It's the beginning of the church. The church has just been established in Acts chapter 2. And then we see in Acts chapter 3, the church in action. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. So listen to this. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, who, by the way, are two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. So you get the, you get the picture here. They're on their way to the prayer meeting. And as they're going to the prayer meeting, a man who's crippled, he cannot walk. Uh, he, he is totally dependent on other people to help him. This lame, this crippled man is being brought to the temple. So here's why. Because each day he was put beside the temple gate, the gate that was called the beautiful gate. Not so beautiful when it's surrounded by crippled people who have got sores and disease and can't walk. And there he would beg from the people going into the temple. So here's this poor crippled man being carried to the temple gates every day with the hope that somehow someone may come along and take pity on him, have mercy, and give him a little bit of money to get him through another day. And the Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John, now, now this gets really cool, Peter and John looked at him intently. Now here's, here's what intently looks like. I see you, Don. I see you, Jared. I see you, Dad. Hi, Dad. (laughs) I see you, Nicholas. This is what we mean by intently. They're looking at this guy, and this guy, he's used to just people ignoring him, maybe kicking him, maybe mocking and laughing at him, ignoring this riffraff on the street. But Peter and John, who got or busy people, got places to go, things to do, people to see. They stop and look intently at this poor, crippled, and lame man. And not only do they look at this man, but they demand that the crippled, lame man look at him, at them. In fact, that's what it says here. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And this guy who's so used to just sitting there with his hand out, this man who lived in humiliation, the humiliation of begging and asking, this man who was used to people ignoring him and passing him by, and maybe even saying derogatory and nasty things like, you're probably on the street because of some sin in your life. You're probably in trouble because you're a bad person. You're probably on the street because your parents were bad people. You're probably on the street because somewhere in your past, there's some sin, and, and you deserve to be here, and it's karma and on, so on and so forth. You know. You know how people can be. But this poor layman, he's got no choice. This is not the job he chose. It's not what he wanted to do, but he had no choice. And so there he is, begging for money, used to being ignored, used to being treated badly, and please help me. But Peter and John come along, and it's not what he's expecting. And Peter and John say, look at us. Look me in the eye. And so he does. And in verse 6, it says, 
But Peter said to this man, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. The, the, the lame man, I mean, he's, he's thinking now, these guys are giving him all this attention. He's expecting he's going to get one massive big gift. He's thinking, man, uh, these guys are so kind to me. They're probably going to give me a lot of money. This is going to set me up for a couple of weeks and maybe even a month. But he doesn't get what he's asking for. He doesn't get what he expects. Peter and John say, we don't have silver or gold, but I'm going to give you what we have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. It says in verse 8, he jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And then verse 10, when they realized he was actually that lame beggar that was always at the beautiful gate begging for money, they were absolutely astounded, it says. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now, wouldn't you hang on tightly to Peter and John after having never walked in your life, after having been lame all your life, and suddenly God has touched you in your whole. Now, listen to this. Most of us go through life crippled in our own way, maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually. We're broken and in need. And we have our own ideas of what it is that we need. We have our own ideas of what kind of solution we need. I can assure you that this lame man never thought for a minute that that would be the day that Jesus Christ would heal him. It's not what he was asking for. It's not what he was looking for. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now because I can assure you that some of you are sitting here today and you've got certain needs And there's things right now that they're troubling you. And you think that what you need is maybe more money and maybe more better health or better this, better that, more of this, more of the other thing. And here's what you really need. You need Jesus. At the end of the service, we're going to do something that we do every now and again. We're going to invite you to come forward for prayer. Because as I'm speaking here this morning, I would like the Spirit of God to start to speak to you and to show you how much you need Jesus. Whatever it is that you're going through with your marriage, with your family, with your kids, your job, your your health, I can assure you that ultimately and primarily your great need is Jesus Christ. And I'll show you that in just a moment. So here we are, a church that believes that our job is to go into the world and help people? And we ask the question, what does the world really need? Yes, the world needs more wells and clean water. Yes, the world needs clothing and shelter, medicine, medical help, food, money, education. These things they need. But here's the thing that the world really needs. The world needs Jesus. 
This crippled man thought that what he really needed was just a little bit money, a little bit of money to get him through another day. A little bit of money that will help him exist for yet another day. Back in 1983, when I graduated from Bible school, there was a massive uh, famine that struck Ethiopia. Some of you may remember that. And there was a fully uh, over a million Ethiopians that died because of that famine. And the PAOC, the denomination that we belong to, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, looked at that special need and they said, there's got to be a way that we can help. And so what they did in 1983 is they established an organization called the Emergency Relief and Development Organization, or ERDO. And the job of ERDO would be to collect funds and bring it to countries like Ethiopia and bring relief to those in need. In fact, ERDO has been responsible for helping to fund uh, many of the orphanages, the orphanage that we are especially tied to, the, the orphanage in Burundi. Many of those, those children that we sponsor are sponsored through an arm of ERDO called Child Care Plus. But here's the thing. I remember very clearly in 1983 that there were some older pastors who were very concerned about this organization. They said, we've got no problem taking care of those who uh, are experiencing famine, those who are experiencing earthquakes and need emergency relief. We've got no problem with that. But here's the problem that they could foresee. They said, our job has always been to present Jesus Christ to a broken and hurting world. They said that ultimately the most important thing that we could give to a broken and hurting world was Jesus. Fast forward some 30 years, 32 years, and here's what we discovered, is that there are some people now who actually that's all they're involved in, that's all they give to. They're more concerned about people's temporal needs than about their eternal needs. Now, I need to say something here right now. Because I don't want, first of all, I don't want anybody going away from here saying, Pastor Allen doesn't believe in helping people who are hungry. Pastor Allen doesn't believe in, in caring for the sick and the needy. Listen, don't do that to me. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is that there is an ultimate most important need, it's what we would call the first need of every human being, and that is a spiritual need. It's a need for sins forgiven. It's a need for eternal life. It's a need for a heart transformed by Christ so that once again people have peace and they have joy. That, my friends, is the gospel. So this message of Christ is that he gives more than what you need to exist another day. Did you get that? The message of Christ is that he gives you more than what you need to exist another day. This crippled man, he thought all he needed was was just give me a few bucks, and that's all I ask, that's all I need. But Peter and James come along and say, here's what you really need. Let's take a look at this verse, Acts 3.6. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Here's the thing, folks. The message of the church is always to give people Jesus. Because in Jesus is everything that you need. I've seen so many lives transformed because people have put their faith in Christ. I've seen marriages healed. 
because people have put their faith in Jesus Christ. I've seen people who've had addictions. They put their faith in Jesus Christ and they've been made whole. And their life turned around. It wasn't another few bucks that they needed. It wasn't a bag of groceries that they needed. Although, yes, they needed that. But what they really needed was they needed a change of heart. My friends, listen to me. This is what the world really needs. They need their hearts changed. And we see it by the statistics. Never in the history of mankind have we given so much money and so much food and so, many, uh, so much medical help to a broken and hurting world, and yet never in the history of mankind have we seen so many wars, so much fighting, and so much catastrophe and problems around the world. And so we recognize then there's something wrong with the world's equation. There's something wrong. And we're saying, We have an answer. His name is Jesus. So what does the world need? It needs a change of heart. Peter shows us how Christians really need to help the needy of this world. And again, please don't go away from here saying Pastor Allen doesn't believe in helping hungry people. Pastor Allen doesn't believe in medical assistance. I'm I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is let's not forget what the greatest need is. Like this lame man confronted by Peter and John, people don't know what they really need. I was on an airplane coming back from Tanzania. It was a night flight at 11 o'clock, and I thought, well, this is great because I'll be able to get on the plane and I'll fall asleep, but it's nighttime, right? So I get on the plane, I sit down, and sitting beside me is a young man. As soon as I sat down, he stuck his hand like almost right in my face. He said, hi, my name's Connor. I thought, oh, I wanted to go to sleep. Hi, Connor, my name is Alan. And I thought, well, that's good. We've made pleasantries over with. I'm going to snuggle in and go to sleep. No luck. Connor was in a chatty mood. And he said to me, what are you doing in Africa? I said, well, I was just, just speaking to the leaders, a number of the villages of Hope, Africa. And, uh, he, and I said, what are you doing in Africa? He goes, well, I was also working in an orphanage. I said, really? He goes, yes, I've been working there for for a couple months. I said, is it a Christian organization? He goes, no. He says, yes, it's a Christian organization. I said, oh, are you a Christian? No. What were you doing there, Connor? Okay, so if you want to go to sleep, you don't ask Connor that question. So <laughs> Connor proceeds to tell me how a Christian friend of him of his, of his challenged him to go and do something great for other people before he graduated. And so what he did is he went to this orphanage. And so he says, so what, what, did, what were you teaching to the directors of the Villages of Hope? I was teaching the seven habits. So I said to him, I was teaching them all about how to make disciples. What's that? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. And so for three hours... We went back and forth. I heard his life story. He told me all about how he didn't have much of a relationship with his parents. He told me he didn't have any kind of relationship with God, but that he was searching. He told me that he was a student at Queen's University. And so I began to ask him, well, what what are you taking? He said, well, I'm taking philosophy. I said, why philosophy? Because, you know, I don't know. I was going to be a doctor. He says, I could actually, he says, I could do anything. My mark's. 
And he wasn't bragging. He was not kind of a kid. He said, I could have done anything. But I, I wanted to take philosophy. I said, well, that's interesting. Why would you want to take philosophy? And here's what he said. He said, because I want to find answers. So what kind of answers do you want to find? Because I want to know what life's about. <laughs> you want to know what life's about? I said, I can tell you what life's about. Because really? Yeah. I said, life can be summed up very simply. Actually, it can be summed up in one word. And by the way, this is the teaching. This is the true teaching of the church. I asked him if he was familiar with the church. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about it. Here's, here's his idea of the church. The church is a building. The church has got priests. Church has got stained glass windows. The church has got uh, religious statues. Church is all about crossing yourself. Church is all about Latin, about incense, about bells, whistles, candles, and you name it. So I said, so that's your idea? That's your understanding of church? He goes, yes. I said, do you have any understanding of the Bible? He goes, well, not really. I think it's just myths, right? I said, well, I don't believe it's myths. He said, well, what do you believe? And so there we were, sitting in the airplane, when I should have been going to sleep. And I began to share with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, well, you said you're going to tell me what life's about. Oh, I said, yes. In one word, it's relationships. He goes, really? He says, how do you get that? Where is that in the Bible? I said, well, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandments? And what are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I said, that speaks of two relationships, your relationship to God and your relationship to one another, to your mom, your dad, your sister, your friends. I said, this is all that life's about, and this is the teaching of Jesus Christ, and that is why I'm in Africa, because God has called me to love those who are here in Africa. He said, this is fascinating. For three hours, we talked. And finally, exhausted, we both fell asleep. We got off the plane. Here's what he said to me. He said, I want to make you a promise. I never asked him to make a promise. I didn't ask him to sign any cards saying that he was going to say a sinner's prayer, that's, that he's going to go to... I didn't ask him to sign anything. I didn't make him, ask him to make any promises. What I did is I gave him Jesus. And here's what he said in response. He says, I'm going to make you a promise. As soon as I get home... I'm going to start working on my relationship with my mom and dad. Oh, wow. That's from a discussion about Jesus Christ. That's the power of Jesus. It transforms. He transforms people's lives. But he said, I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to start exploring who Jesus is. Because you make him sound like a real cool guy. I said, that's a great way of putting it. I'll never forget, Amster Airport. He went that way, I went that way. I waved to him, I said, Connor, I hope to see you again someday. He says, I think we will. Folks, what can I say but that it's supernatural? There's a whole world out there that's waiting for you and for me to bring to them the message of Jesus Christ. 
There's a whole world out there that's waiting for you and I to step up and share our faith. You say, Pastor Allen, I haven't, I haven't gone to Bible school. I haven't been trained to do this. I don't know how to do this. John Romani was asking a little bit about how to present, how to preach a sermon for Friday. And it, I started reading it, and he was talking about, about somebody I didn't know about. I said, John, don't talk about people that you don't know. Tell your own story. Tell the young people about yourself. What has Jesus done for you? How is your life changed? How is life better because of Jesus in your life? And suddenly, man, he came up with a great message. I'm going to tell you this. Every one of us has got a great message. If Jesus Christ has come into your life, and if you have given your life to Christ, and you know that you have been saved by Jesus Christ, then you've got a message that nobody else can tell, and it's powerful as powerful as can be. This is what the world is waiting for. They're waiting for you to show up and tell your story about what Jesus has done for you. No wonder there's so many people that mock the church and think it's, it's full of baloney. It's because we who call ourselves Christians, we don't really, really believe that Jesus Christ is what we really need. And Jesus calls us today to stand up and get out there and share the good news of how people's lives can be transformed if only they put their faith in Christ. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, in this needy world. It's so easy just to write a check, the offering basket goes around, throw a fiver on the plate or a tenner or a twenty, whatever, and you think, well, I've been kind to God, I've done my duty. You get to appease your conscience, and now you're free of guilt. You know, I've done my part. If I give a little money, I can just keep moving along and I don't have to get entangled in people's lives. Can you imagine if John and Peter had that attitude? Could you imagine if they said, hey, you know, we've got important, we're important people. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We don't have time to talk to the riffraff on the street. Could you imagine if they had that attitude? How many of us have that attitude? We just rather give a few bucks and don't, I don't want to get entangled in the mess. Don't ask me to go to Africa, Pastor. Don't ask me to get involved. Don't ask me to go and talk to the people who are struggling and who've got their addictions and their problems. Don't ask me to get entangled in the mess. Folks, this is exactly what Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, that Jesus came to set up his tent among us. That's literally what it says in the Greek. I love it. He came and he set up his tent to live amongst us. He left the splendors of heaven to come and live amongst us dirty, smelly people with all our problems and all our struggles and all our problems. And some of you are sitting here, thank you very much, Pastor Allen, for that. <laughs> but that's a fact. You know how messy your life is. You know the problems you've got. You know the struggles. And yet Jesus came to set up his tent and live amongst us. This is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. He calls us not just to alleviate people's suffering for a day or for a week or a month or a year or maybe for a life. What does he ask us to do? He calls us to be part of changing their lives so that they can find forgiveness of their sin. They can be free of their guilt, and they can experience the peace and joy that every single heart is hungry and desperate for. We have that answer. We have 
that solution. We have what this world is looking for. And they're waiting for you. Oh, they don't know that they're waiting for you, but I can assure you that they are waiting for you to come and say, I've got the answer. His name is Jesus. I love the fact that the disciples, they stopped and looked intently in the eyes of that lame man, that crippled man, and said, look at us. Look at us. You need to know, crippled man. You need to know, lame person. You need to know, broken, hurting, struggling person. You need to know that you have great value. Where others would just pass them by, the disciples stopped and looked them in the eye and said, you have great value because you were created in the image of God. You have such great value that Jesus Christ himself came and died for you. This is why, folks, we send out our teams to Africa, to the Philippines, to Israel this past year. That's why we send them out. That's why we send out over 30 people. We send them out, listen to this, we send them out so that our people can go and look those people in the eye and say, you are loved. We send them to go look them in the eye and tell them all about the love of Christ. You know, I have an image etched on my mind that I will never forget for the rest of my life. It was the first time we went to Burundi, and it was Dennis, Dennis Weeb, playing with those little kids. Those kids were not just numbers. These were kids that were experiencing the love of this man from Canada. And those kids knew. They knew that they knew that they knew that Dennis and the team truly loved them. We're going to take a moment right now to pray. If you have special needs this morning, I'm going to ask Chris to come to the piano. If you have special needs this morning, we invite you to come and just find yourself, find yourself a place here at the front. I'm going to anoint you with oil and pray for you. Because we believe at the end of the day, the most important thing that we have to offer is Jesus. Maybe you've got health problems, you need direction for your future, you've got marriage, family problems, financial problems. We're here in the name of Jesus. Look what Jesus says here. He says in John chapter 14, 13 to 14, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you have a special need here this morning? We're going to ask in Jesus' name that he heal you, that he touch you, provide for you, meet your needs. We had a a number of people come forward this morning for prayer. And I believe that God heard those prayers. I believe that God is going to do a miracle for those people. And I believe that for those of you here today who need a touch from God. So as we sing that simple little chorus, God is so good. He's so good to me. I'm going to ask you to come and join me. And ask Marilyn if you could come and pray, and Gloria and Taryn, and if there's any of the elders in this service, if you could come and join me in praying for those who come forward. But let's sing it together, shall we?